0: Hey, everyone, this is T-Roll, the host of the Campus Outreach Podcast. We're taking a break from our normal podcast over the summer, and instead, we'll be posting audio versions of various talks that were given at our Beach Project from earlier this summer. If you are interested in viewing the video form of the following message, please go to cobirmingham.org forward slash campus talks to find all of our talks from this year's Beach Project. Thanks so much and enjoy today's talk. pray for us father I pray that you would meet us now that you would make us mentally alert and uh, spiritually soft and sensitive in our hearts to you and your word and your spirit would you make us into the men and the women that you want us to be uh, for your glory and for our joy we pray all this in Christ's name amen okay if you've got a Bible open up to Genesis chapter one and we are going to kind of do an overview not the whole thing uh, of, the, of the story of the Bible and another way you can say is the story of the universe why are we here? What are we doing? We're mainly going to look at the idea of creation uh, right now. And so we're going to look at this uh, passage in Genesis chapter 1, a few verses in Genesis chapter 2. But when we come to the Bible, it's important to understand the Bible is not primarily written as a history book or a science book. The Bible is true, and so what it says about history is true, what it says about science is true. But that's not the main reason that it was written. It would kind of be like going and reading a math book and trying to answer all your physics questions. It's probably not going to happen because they're not the exact same things. The Bible is written more to tell us about God and to tell us about ourselves. And so when we come especially to the story of creation, the main questions in our minds shouldn't be about how is the world made exactly? Because that's not the main thing it's trying to address. It's more trying to tell us, Why was the world made? Why were you and I made? And a why question is a lot more important for our life than a how question. Just think about this. Imagine if there was a verse in Genesis chapter 1 that said, I'm going to tell you exactly when and where and how the dinosaurs were made. And they were made exactly 6,000 years ago on this day. Or 6 million years ago. Or who cares? 6 million years ago. Would that change your life at all to know about the T-Rex? It really wouldn't, unless you're like a geologist or you're just fascinated with that kind of stuff. But if the Bible tells us why God made me and why He wants me to live, that can have a radical impact. And so that's the way we're going to look at it this morning. Okay, three words I want you to think about. Okay, to just kind of wrap your mind around this: safe, serve, and satisfy. So the first point is this: God made the world safe for people. God was making the planet, and you know this if you paid attention in any of your science classes, probably about astronomy and the other planets, that our planet, planet Earth, is very unique and that it inhabits human life. Okay? But we're going to read a little bit of Genesis 1, not the whole thing. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now, what's happening here? God's making a planet that's safe for people. He's securing a planet that we can live on. And it goes through the six days of creation again. For time's sake, we're not going to read them all. But he creates land, he creates water, he creates the sun, the sun, and the moon, and the stars, animals, birds, vegetation, food. Imagine living, trying to live on a planet that didn't have land, didn't have water, didn't have light, didn't have heat. It's impossible. He's making a place for people to live. He's securing it for us. Why? Because he loves us. Because he likes us. Because one of the main overarching themes of the whole Bible is God's a good God. God's a great God. God's a generous God. God loves to give good gifts to His children. That's part of the nature and character of who He is. Now skip down to verse 26 to end of the chapter. Let's see what happens there. This is on the sixth day of creation. Then God said, Let us make man in our image. We'll come back later and talk about what that means. After our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And every bird of the heavens, and everything that creeps the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And that's the completion of the creation account in Genesis chapter one. You now, notice here at the end, God basically says, "Hey." Guys, welcome to Planet Earth. I made it for you. It's all yours. You're in charge of it. You can use it. Don't abuse it. Okay, you didn't exactly say that way, but that, that's implied. Don't take advantage of all the gifts I've given you, but use them and enjoy them. Okay, I'm going to give you a quote by a guy named John Calvin, this long time ago, great Bible teacher. Okay, just to stretch you a little bit mentally in the morning. Listen to this. Okay. God certainly did not intend that mankind should be slenderly and sparingly sustained. But rather, by these words, he promises a liberal abundance, which should leave nothing lacking for a sweet and pleasant life. For Moses, who wrote the book of Genesis, relates how generous the Lord had been to them in bestowing on them all things which they could desire, that their ingratitude might have the less excuse. I know there's some big words in there, but you understand what he's saying? God's a generous God who made the whole world so we can have a great life. that we basically have everything that we'd ever want or need. First point, God made a wonderful world for us. God made a world safe for us. Second point, God made people to serve him. We already saw that a little bit in chapter 1 where he's saying, fill the earth, subdue the earth, rule the earth, basically. But let's look at chapter 2. What you get in Genesis chapter 1 is like a big picture, overview, macro explanation. Here's why God made the world. And then in Genesis 2, it narrows in, it focuses in, and says, let's focus on the most important part of creation, which is not birds, it's not animals, it's not the sun, it's human beings. And let's see how God interacted with them. So skip down Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Let's get down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So as soon as God made the first human being Adam, he had a garden that God had already started. He's kind of like, hey, I've got it kicked off for you. But I'm going to put you here, and I want you to cultivate it. I want you to keep it. I want you to guard it. I want you to protect it. I want you to bring all the plants and all the trees in this garden to their full potential. Develop them. Steward them. He gave them a job to do. Work's a good thing. It's kind of a side note, but work is not a bad thing. Work didn't come after sin. Work came before sin. We're made to work. And what? We're made to serve God. It's a little bit like in a good family. Parents will give kids Chores. Right? I'll just give you a little story for my family. I have a daughter. She's 13. She's the youngest in our family, and her chore in our family is take out the trash, all right? Because that's just kind of like the only job left after the boys have all the other jobs. So it's like take out the trash. Well, there's six people that live in our house, so the trash gets filled up pretty often. A lot of times she has to take the trash out two times a day, and so a lot of times I have to remind her, Sophia, please take out the trash. And she'll say, "I already did it today. I don't want to do it again." And I'll be like, "Don't complain. It's your job. Just do it." And sometimes she'll joke with me. And she'll say, "Dad, sometimes I think the only reason you had kids is just so we could serve you new chores." Okay? Now, I'm pretty sure she's just joking. I hope she's joking, <laughs> because let's just say if she and I really tried to do a comparison of who was serving the other person more, right? She takes out the trash. That is her service. She cleans her room. Once a year, maybe, okay? That is a little bit of service. But it's like, I pay for the house. I pay for the food. I pay for the clothes. There's no comparison, right? She serves me a minuscule bit. I serve her massively. And I'm happy to do it because I love her. You know, every once in a while, you'll even hear about uh, one of these guys that makes it big in the NFL, right? They get that first million-dollar-plus contract, and what's the first thing they do? They go back and they buy, like, a nice million-dollar Home for the mom that raised them, and that's a great thing. But even still, I would say you know what—that mom has served you more than you served her, right? Because at least for eighteen years, she was taking care, of changing diapers. She gave you life. She gave you food. She did all that stuff for you. You can't outserve your parents, really, in normal life, and you certainly can't outserve God. So listen, yes, we are made to serve God. The Bible obviously says that. But we should never complain about that. Because whatever small, tiny, minuscule way we're serving him, he's serving us trillions of times more, right? Serving our socks off. And so there should be this overwhelming sense of joy. Of course I'm happy to serve God. Just like my daughter ought to say, of course I'm happy, Daddy, to take the trash out. Now, she's not always there, but maybe she'll get there one day, okay? Uh, God made the world safe for people. God made people to serve him. The third point is this. God made people to be satisfied in him. He didn't just say, hey, I gave you a planet, so now you've got to work for me. He said, I gave you a planet. I do want you to work for me, but you know what? I, I'm going to make your life full of joy. I'm going to satisfy you. I'm going to enrich you. Pick up right where we left off. Chapter 2, at verse 16. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Okay? Uh, i started in verse 18. Let's go back to verse 16. And the Lord God commanded a man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat from the day that you eat of it. You will surely die. Now most of us have probably heard that before. Even if you didn't grow up in church, yeah, they were in the garden. There was this one tree they couldn't eat from. And we, why? We'll talk about that later. But here's the thing. Did you notice what comes before that? God says, every other tree, eat as much as you want. And I didn't originally say this. I heard this from somebody I can't remember, but it's an important point. Our God is a God that says no, but he's also a God of a thousand yeses. And much more of his character is defined by him saying, look at all the good gifts I've given you. Eat to your heart's content. I'm here to bless you. And yes, there is a prohibition. Yes, I'm trying to protect you. You've got to trust me. Just like a good parent tells their little kids, hey, don't go play in the interstate. And nobody says, what a dictator of a dad. That guy's a mean moron trying to ruin that kid's life. It's like, no, you're not even a parent. You're like, it makes sense. You shouldn't play in the interstate. You've got to trust God. If a little kid should trust a parent, certainly we should trust God. Okay. Now, Here's another John Calvin quote, okay? Promise, just two for the day. Calvin said this, Man is placed in a world as a theater to behold God's works and worship him. You ever been to like the IMAX, you know? And the surround sound. Or maybe you have ever been to Epcot? I mean, show of hands. How many of you ever been to Epcot? This is just out of curiosity. Okay. You know, you go to Epcot. And Epcot's kind of the boring one of all the ones. Like the Animal Kingdom, we got tigers. That's cool. You got, you know, Space Mountain, roller coaster, at Disney World. Then you go to Epcot. It's kind of like, this is like for boring old people. You know? But they try to make it as exciting as possible. So like, we're going to have a theater experience of China. And you go in this thing that's like surround Movies surround sound, and they're even like spraying out of mist and stuff. It's like a full 4D experience. I still don't think Epcot's that great, okay? Why am I talking about Epcot? Because that's a great picture of kind of what John Calvin is saying God made planet Earth like. Is that every time you look around and see something great, you should stop and say, God made this for me, and it should make you experience God and worship God. James chapter 1 verse 17 I think is where it says every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father. He's a good Father who loves to give good gifts to children. Sophia, my daughter, okay? Got a few illustrations with her. They're all true. Her favorite thing, one of her favorite things is to get ice cream after dinner. Not every night, but probably most nights. After dinner's over. Daddy, can we get ice cream? Right? Chick-fil-A, Dairy Queen, something. Can we get ice cream? And a lot of times I say yes, because I like ice cream too, right? So I say, yeah, we'll go get some ice cream. And usually, as we're going, and certainly after she gets the ice cream, she starts tasting She's like, Daddy, you're such a great dad. I love you. You're the best. You're so generous. Now, why is she doing that? Probably because she's trying to butter me up, so I'll take her again tomorrow night, right? But there's some of her, she's just enjoying the ice cream, and she's just expressing that. But do you understand there's a little shift even in, just hear, listen to the phrases I said. Thank you for the ice cream, Daddy. That's good. I like that. But then she starts saying, she shifts from just thanking me for the gift to saying, you're a great dad. I love you. What do you think i like to hear more? Right? Not just thanks for this Chick-fil-A ice cream, because that's kind of more about Chick-fil-A. I like when she shifts and she says, thank you, Daddy. I love you. That's the way that we should live our whole life. Every time you eat a good burrito, or every time you see a pretty sunset, or every time you see a pretty girl, or a guy, whatever. Say anything. A movie that you enjoy. A book that you like. A song that you think is awesome. You ought to stop and say, you trace that back far enough, it goes back to my father in heaven, and I like you, God. Thank you. Imagine if you've been blind your whole life, born blind, never seen light, never seen color, never seen anything. People told you about it, but you couldn't really understand because you couldn't see it, and you get supernaturally healed. <laughs> and you're sitting in the doctor's office, maybe, and the sunshine is coming in through the window. And so you're seeing these sunbeams for the first time, and you're like, What is that? That's amazing. It's so beautiful, it's so powerful, it's so you know, illuminative. You may just have all these words expressing yourself. And if you have a friend, they may say, you think the sunbeam coming through the window is cool? Let me show you something bigger and better. And they get you up and they walk you to the window and they say, look out the window, but don't look too long because it will burn your retinas. But look where the sunbeam is coming from. You understand the point? Every time you experience anything good in this life, you ought to trace the sunbeam back to the source of your Father in heaven. And there ought to be an experience of awe and majesty and worship and unworthiness. I don't deserve this. Why are you such a good God to give me so many good gifts like this? Now, do you remember back in chapter 1, verse 26, that we looked at just... A couple minutes ago where it said that man was made, mankind, man and woman, in God's image. Now what does that really mean? And did you notice it said, God said, let us, it was plural, let us make God in our image. Now what's that saying? It's saying at least two things, probably saying a lot more. The first thing is this. The Bible teaches that the one true God is a triune God. Three people, one God. That didn't make any sense. I know. But just get used to dealing with God. He's above us. He's bigger than us. He doesn't always make sense. And you may say, I don't understand that. I don't even like that. Let me tell you why you should like it even if you don't understand it. It's because what that means is God has always been a relational being. Father, Son, Holy Spirit throughout all creation, before creation, all eternity, interacting with one another, loving one another, serving one another, worshiping one another. I mean, really, I mean, it's basically saying, why did God make the world? Not that he needed people. Just like, I don't need my daughter. But why did I have her? Because I wanted to have her. Because I enjoy her. I delight in her. And why did God make the Lord? Because the three persons of the Trinity were basically having an eternal party with each other. And it was so much fun. They're like, let's make some more people to enjoy this party. I'm not joking. That's a great way to explain why God made people. But the second thing it means is this. What does it mean that we're in God's image? It means that we are relational beings. And you can say, well, i got two dogs and they're relational. They hang out. No, no, no. We have the capacity for deep spiritual relationship, deep spiritual intimacy, deep spiritual communion. And yes, we're supposed to do with other human beings. We'll look at that in a second. But most important, we're supposed to do with God. You know, you get the smartest animals in the world gorillas, orangutans, dolphins, whatever. And if you could get them all in a room together, they won't have a Bible study like this. They won't say, why are we here, guys? We should investigate the meaning of the universe. They're not made for that. And we are. Now, did you notice? Did you notice? Go back to uh, verse 18. We already read that. That God said... It's not best for man to be alone. He didn't say Adam was down there lonely like, this is boring, I don't have anybody to play with, God, it's not fair. He wasn't a complainer, he wasn't a whiner. He trusted God, he was patient, but God was paying attention. God was a good daddy and he still is. And he said, this is not best. Even though Adam has me and he has the whole planet, he needs a friend, he needs a peer. He needs somebody just like him, but different in all the right ways. And so God said... Skip down to uh, verse 21. So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and he closed it up at his place with the flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife are both naked and were not ashamed. So, just a couple more things, we're done. What's this all about? It's like, yeah, God gives us great gifts, like fruit. I like fruit. Ice cream. Burritos. But then he also gives us stuff like women. Men. Marriage. Passion. Romance. Sex. All that stuff. Everything you like about life, God invented it. He gets the credit. He gets the glory. And every time you enjoy it, There ought to be a thankful heart. Now, what's the application we should take away? Okay? I'm going to say it about four different ways, but it's really just the same thing. You should serve God. You should obey Him. Okay? How? Specifically, you should steward all the good gifts He gives you. The money, the time, the talents, the friendships, the relationships, the planet, whatever. You should thank God for all His good gifts. And you should let the thankfulness for his good gifts lead you to worship the great giver. Make sense? The gifts are good. The giver's great. The giver's even better. Thank him for the gifts. Worship him just for who he is. But that was a lot, so let me just summarize it, okay? What should you really do? I mean, what's the application from this morning? Obey God joyfully. When my daughter takes out the trash with a begrudging mindset, I hate this. This stinks. This is stupid. Why do I have to do this? This is more of a boy job, you know, throwing stuff on the floor. That's frustrating. I don't like that. I'm kind of like, you know what, forget it. I'll take the trash out myself. But when she has a good attitude, she's like, hey daddy, sometimes she does this. I come home from work, she's like, dad, I already took the trash out, you don't have to remind me. And she's happy about it. That's the way we ought to obey God. A joyful obedience. Now, Look at verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. What is that saying? Saying more than they were just physically naked. What it's saying is this. When God first made people, there was no sin in the world. They had nothing to be ashamed of. They had nothing to hide, nothing to fear. They were comfortable in their own skin. They were home with themselves and home with one another. They could be totally honest with themselves. They can be totally honest with one another. They can be totally honest with God. Well, there's a little bit of foreshadowing in that last verse where it says unashamed. Because if you know anything about the Bible, what comes in the very next verse is sin starts to come in the world. And shame starts to come with sin. And it's going to be ruined. But here's the last thought. Everybody flip over to the New Testament for just a second to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians is a letter that the Apostle Paul is writing thousands of years later. He's a church planner, a missionary, and he's writing into this church in this city called Ephesus. And a lot of what he's doing is giving practical instruction about how to be a good Christian. And he's telling them about how to be a good mommy and a good daddy and a good husband and a good wife. And we're going to pick up in there. And why am I, why am I flipping here? We're talking about creation because Paul's going to quote one of the verses we just read about marriage. Okay? Ephesians chapter 5. And let's start in verse 31. This is where he quotes from Genesis chapter 2. Therefore man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You see what he did there? He said, man, marriage is a mystery. One man, one woman, they come together physically, spiritually, emotionally, this deep kind of relational intimacy, all It's it's mysterious, it's profound, it's deep, it's awful. And he says, but you know what? Marriage is not even really about marriage. Just like everything else we've been saying. All the good gifts in life are not really just about the good gift. They're about the source of the gift, which is God. But he gets a little bit more specific. He says, you know what marriage is about? Even in the garden before sin entered the world, marriage is this like miniature living picture Of how the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, left his Father's throne above once he saw us sin and descend into a pit of shame and say, I'll go into that pit of shame with them. I'll bear their sin burden, I'll bear their shame, I'll be stripped naked in shame, hung on a cross for the wrath that they deserve from my Father. So that if they trust in me, they can be clothed in my righteousness. They can be forgiven. They can be cleansed. They can be restored to even a better, fuller, deeper intimacy with me than Adam and Eve had in the garden. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're thankful. We're not thankful enough, but we're really thankful. I pray for every single one of us. Help us to love you more. Help us to worship you more. Help us to serve you more. Please use this morning and this whole summer, wherever we are, to take us deeper in personal intimacy with you, deeper in appreciation for all your goodness and all your good gifts, deeper in worship, deeper into obedience, deeper into joy and satisfaction. We pray all this in Christ's name.